this is Dorinda Trick, and you've just joined today's episode of Nurtured to Love. Why you'll never know your true identity until you get to know your own spirit. Hey, everybody, it's Tuesday, March the 21st, and we are rounding out this book entitled Witness to the Truth with the second unit t- today on the redemptive gift of mercy. Maybe you're one of those. I know I am. Let's go before the Lord. Father, I just thank you again that you have everything in order and that everything serves your purpose, even our own identities, Lord. So for for this broadcast today, Lord, and every listener, whoever hears this lesson, I pray and thank you, God, for blessing them in their innermost being, in their spirit, and just bringing forth recognition, realization, and reception of truth about who they really are and who you've made them to be. We thank you, Lord. It all begins and ends with you. Jesus, you are the sanest man who ever lived on planet Earth, and only you really make sense now in this time that we live because you are truth, you are life, and you are all wisdom. So we thank you again, Lord, that our spirit carries a portion of your very light, that wisdom, that healing, that, that beauty and goodness that is, that is you. And we are ready to develop more of, of your essence in us, Lord. Just thanking you again, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to be the one who teaches this today. In Jesus' name, amen. I am in my study this afternoon, and I have two very special friends with me. Little Snicky D, who is our nine-month-old miniature sn- uh, golden doodle, who has just had, uh, she just got spayed yesterday, so she's a little bit in the recovery uh, department. Um, and my sweet buddy, Buddy, my, my big golden doodle buddy, who's about an 85-pound guy who we just love dearly. He's five years old, did I say that already? And so they're with me today. So if we have any little um, kerfluffles, <clears throat> hopefully we won't. Uh, could be the dogs, but I think I've got them settled down pretty good right now. So glad you could be with me today. Have really enjoyed teaching um, this material that I wrote back in 2017, and that just feels more and more um, appropriate to be sharing uh, because we're looking at identity right constantly, and it's being brought before us in the media on a daily basis. And we recognize, do we not, that the children in our culture are suffering because uh, not only have they been uh, served up a big dish of confusion in this area, their own parents and authority figures in, in many situations are as confused as they are. They don't know their God. Let's get started. This is chapter 14, again in the book entitled Witness to the Truth. It's page 149, The Mercy 2.0. A dream of the soul gives way to a dream of the spirit. So I had to give up the dream, the false dream I thought was my life. It was not my life. It had only been a dream, the script of my soul. It was not God's dream for me. God's dream for you and me is not written in our souls. It's written on the tablets of our hearts, our spirits. There's a song about coming to the Lord being like waking up from the longest dream. Well, that's how it's been for me. A long dream and a long awakening. 
I used to beat myself up about this until I understood that it's a peculiar phenomenon for people with the redemptive gift of mercy. So, in other words, I'm not in trouble with God on that point, and you aren't either. I chose to wake up from the dream. And, of course, that was critical, but no less important than the part nurturing my spirit has played in positioning me to receive the redeeming life of God. Now, why do I say that? I say that because your spirit is the part of you that God made to witness primarily to the truth. And so in order to witness to truth, your spirit has to be big enough to receive truth. God's very gracious, and He was dropping nuggets of truth in me, in my spirit, when it was very, very tiny. But over time, we must join in the process with the Lord and allow His Spirit and His Word to do the work that God intends for them to do to grow us up in Him. In fact, there would have been no waking up without nurture and instruction to my spirit, because it was in my spirit where most of the damage lay. No doubt I could have carried on for God, a good soldier in His army, doing many good things for His glory, but that was not good enough for God or me. God wanted me healed and made whole, and He wants no less for you. He's true to His Word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 is instructive. It reads, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The tool God gave me, we call it nurturing the spirit, sped up the process of my awakening substantially. But, true to my design as a mercy, it has been a slow turn. God knows how He has made us, and He has chosen to make the mercy slow to absorb change, a person who needs time to process her feelings so she can receive the deepest amount of insight, wisdom, and understanding from what she experiences. If this is you, take peace, okay, in God's design. There's a purpose for you in it. Our real selves are waiting for Him. That's a quote from C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist. I identify with Lewis, you may too, in his slow turn to the Lord. Before coming to Christ, Lewis tenaciously held on to his right to lead his own life. He didn't want to give up control to God, much of this coming from deep disappointment he suffered early in life. You see, at age nine, his world crashed due to the death of his mother. His father sent Lewis and his older brother to boarding school soon after. His life was never the same. The strong sense of security he had with his mother got lost. And the relationship with his father was strained. Lewis was mad. Death had fragmented his life. He became cynical about love until God apprehended him. Does that sound familiar? I'm not saying Lewis was a mercy. I don't know what his redemptive gift was. His writing certainly displays magnificent texture and creativity and color. He released redeeming life, and he does continue to, to his readers. We know Lewis, like all human beings, possessed all seven aspects of the nature of God because he's made in or was made in God's image. 
We know the devil tried to hold this genius back the same way he tries to hold us all back from God, through pain and suffering. God's grace and mercy pulled Lewis back to himself. And, like many of us, it appears Lewis, too, came kicking and screaming. Coming to God can be a torrid process until we finally lay our gun down and receive peace in his presence. In his book, Mere Christianity, listen to what Lewis writes. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions, to Christ. But it's far easier than what we're all trying to do instead. For what we're trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time be good. We're all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. That's why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people don't usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day. Standing back from all your natural fussing and fretting, coming in out of the wind. Boy, does it take a while for some of us to come in out of the wind. The legitimacy lie and the curse. As a professional counselor for 20 years, I worked with dozens of kids who were trauma bonded to their parents or other important people in their lives. What's a trauma bond? Well, it is an intense emotional attachment to someone who's harmful to you. The harm can come in the form of outright physical abuse, or it could be subtler, like the pain that comes from emotional, mental, or spiritual abuse. For a child, the abuse is all but impossible to recognize, much less escape, because it arrives early in life, within the context of the family, which is the real world to every child. The child must consider it normal, you know, this thing that they're experiencing, or purpose to do so. Likewise, the perpetrators of abuse, especially the emotional, mental, or spiritual kind, are usually about as blind to it as the victim is. Not every, not all the perps are blind to it, but many are. And that's because they grew up captive to abusive authority figures during their formative years, right? Their, during their own lives. It's truly a cycle. There's another clinical term I want to share with you that's related to this and, and to this lie and curse that uh, besets the, the mercy particularly. And you may have heard of it. It's called the Stockholm Syndrome pretty famous, uh, actually, from something that happened years ago uh, with captors and hostages, yeah. The reason that this idea is important, the Stockholm Syndrome, um, is because it can be what happens when a trauma bond develops between two people. It's a special type of trauma bond. It describes the strong emotional tie when one person intermittently harasses, 
beats, threatens, abuses, or intimidates another person. And what happens next is the victim of the abuse identifies with the one hurting them. I know it sounds crazy, but it happens. It's how a person being hurt in this way defends themselves. And I mean psychologically. When the victim believes and accepts the values of the one hurting them, they stop seeing the abuser as a threat. And can you understand that would be important for children? Because children, they can't survive if they are so frightened uh, all the time. They have to somehow work it out in their minds. And this is one way that, that, that we do, unfortunately. I share all this with you because the Lord has impressed upon me the role that these things played in my life and the likelihood that they may have played some part in yours too. All these distortions and perversions in life, of course, come under the jurisdiction of the enemy of our souls, the devil. And so it's important to reflect upon the way, quote, love, end quote, may have been distorted and perverted in your life. If you grew up being taught a crooked view of love, then you will have trouble recognizing and receiving true love when it comes around. The mercy's task is to learn to love God and to stop trying to earn God's favor or people's favor through self-sacrifice. For some of us, the only love we've ever known is the self-sacrificing kind. It's the type that, of love that was modeled to us. So it can be a developmental task for the mercy to learn how to recognize and receive genuine love. When I say it, it, may, it can be a developmental task, it means that it's, it's, it's going to be something that a person, even an adult like you or me, will have to develop our mastery in it, our skill, our ability to receive love, and we'll have to develop our ability before we can receive it to recognize genuine love, okay? It's a, it's a skill that we must develop over time. 1 John 5.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, for the mercy to be all she's made to be, she must learn how to recognize and receive God's love first. And guess what our legitimacy is based on? It is based on receiving the love of God in our spirit. Legitimacy is a function of the human spirit. More evidence of why it's critical for the mercy in all the gifts to get the healing, to get the instruction, to get the blessing they need in their spirit so they can enter their call, which always includes sharing God's love with others. If you have had difficulty receiving the love of God, perhaps you are like me. You've had to learn, right? You've had to develop the ability. You've had to learn how to recognize His love first. And this is where God's fingerprints comes in. It's a good way to train yourself to receive the love of God by identifying His, quote, fingerprints in your life, quote, end quote, <laughs> around the word fingerprints, because there are all these little love touches. Like today, my sweet little puppy, I felt like it was a grace from the Lord. As I was eating my lunch, she remained silent in her crate. She didn't whimper. She didn't have an accident. I, every good and perfect thing comes from God. I count that. A fingerprint from God. I want to give Him the glory. 
You cannot receive something, though, you do not recognize first. It works this way. Every day, purpose to notice the little things and the big things that are good in your life. Quote, fingerprints, end quote, of God. Acknowledging God as your source, because He is, okay? These are the fingerprints mentioned earlier in the book, in this book, that raise your level of gratitude and love of your Father God. He created you to celebrate His goodness and mercy in many ways every day of your life. This is how He nurtures your spirit and keeps you strong in Him. The recognition of God's enduring love is vital to a healthy spirit, soul, and body. Much of our trouble in recognizing this is usually a result of damaged emotions. We must first clear away the debris of damaged emotions before we're able to receive everything God has for us in spirit, soul, and body. So for all the gifts, this not, not just this gift, but for, so for all the gifts, but especially the person with the redemptive gift of mercy, much sense can be made of why it can take so much of our lifetime to get free from captivity. God is all about setting us free, and the most profound release comes when we are released in our spirits. Now we can see how the legitimacy lie, and this is it for the mercy. Listen, quote, I am legitimate when I have earned God's or people's favor through self-sacrifice, end quote. That is what we call the legitimacy lie for the redemptive gift of mercy. It gets planted. We see how it gets planted in our lives. We're just kids, right? We're just little children looking for love, seeking approval, trying to do our part to be helpful in the family to the adults around us. We're real sensitive that way. Some of uh, those adults, though, are not very healthy people mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and some are not very well even physically. So all of this creates a situation in which a child has to make adjustments to survive. And I know that sounds kind of dramatic, But it is the truth in the mind of a child, because the parents or the caregivers are the world to that little person. And whatever world that is, the child is captive. I gave my soul and spirit away to get the love I wanted. I came close to giving it away to the devil. But God never let me go that far. His spirit spoke to my spirit to choose life at a critical point in time. Even then, God was incredibly patient with me. He knew that I still wouldn't come to Him or surrender my life to Him for many years to come. Uh, The story of God's Spirit touching my spirit when I wanted to kill myself is in the book I wrote entitled Opening the Gift, and I strongly encourage you to get it because, uh, contrary to this book, it has a questionnaire at the back that will enable you to uh, identify what your spiritual identity is by taking that questionnaire. And then the the book is really like a survey course, kind of. All seven gifts are detailed there uh, with behavioral characteristics, strengths and weaknesses, battleground, anointing, uh, points of application. It's really, uh, I'd say, pretty meaty, pretty juicy resource for getting your land legs in this whole area of redemptive identity, spiritual identity in God. Give it, give it a shot. It's on Amazon, Opening the Gift by Dorinda Trick. The first commandment is first. 
During all those years, it never occurred to me God was going to compensate me for the losses I experienced. So I focused on human favor. I chose to focus on the horizontal relationships in my life, not on a vertical relationship with God. When things did not turn out the way I'd planned, well, you know, I figured it was up to me to make up the difference. I blamed myself, for sure, and God for what had happened and what had not happened in my life. I got caught in the lie that if I just sacrificed a little bit more, right, for others and maybe also for God, I'd get what was coming to me. Wasn't this what God and others expected? I had no way to know that it doesn't work that way with God. Listen with your spirit to 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Impatient and fearful, I took matters into my own hands, opening a door for a negative effect or curse to come into my life. Yes, there were many things I did not deserve that happened to me, painful things I didn't deserve, but there were also many, many things God gave me that I did not earn. Knowing God or His, not knowing God or His character and not understanding that despite the heartaches I'd been through, God was still for me. I gave God and others sacrifices they didn't ask for. I did this to keep the peace, stay safe, avoid conflict. I did all this at the expense of my soul and my spirit. Ungodly beliefs and expectations, the block to true intimacy. Ever heard of the belief expectation cycle? This term comes from a deliverance model. It goes like this. We have an experience early in life. The experience is deeply disappointing to our soul and possibly grieves our spirit. We get no help to work through our thoughts and feelings either because no help's available or we're too scared to ask for help. We're unable to remain in faith and peace, and the result is we develop an ungodly belief about people, about life, and even about ourselves. This ungodly belief is at odds with God's perspective on our lives. It separates us from relationship with Him. The more we believe it, the further we drift from God. Life goes on. Based on what we experience, we develop an expectation about what will happen the next time we're in a similar situation. This expectation is tainted by the damaged emotions we feel that were never resolved and the ungodly belief we now hold as a result. Are we aware this is happening inside us? For the most part, no. As far as we're concerned, we're just living life like everybody else, and that's true because most people live that way. We simply choose to act in such a way that matches our expectations and the belief we hold that's at odds with God's perspective on our lives. You might want to check out Bitter Root Judgment from the Elijah House, that teaching. But we're going to get into a little bit more of this in the chapters to come. Getting trapped inside this ugly cycle does a number on all of us, but particularly the mercy who so desperately wants to believe in love, goodness, righteousness, who's been made by God to celebrate when things are good and right and true, 
tell that to the people around her. Depending on the level of dysfunction in a particular family, the mercy may just be ignored and neglected or suffer much worse, depending again on the circumstances into which she was born. In other words, God sets us up. He places many of us in very wounding families and marriages where we're all alone. We must have God or we will not make it. And God knows this. The battle begins early. And as we look back, we can see God's grace in pulling us to Him. He is the one we long for intimacy with from such an early age. I've seen that His evidence in my life. God has revealed more and more to me about the intimacy we shared during my childhood years that got me through. I didn't recognize, you know, that it was God loving me and touching my heart with His strength, but He was. I couldn't receive then what I did not recognize. But God released His power and grace through the years to draw me and save me for ultimate intimacy with love Himself. The mercy's exquisite sensitivity results in deep absorption of life with all its pain and sorrow, but also in all its joy and wonder. The mercy is made to worship the magnificence glory, and splendor of God. The more the mercy absorbs the presence and power of God through nature, music, and other situations, the more spiritual authority builds inside her. And of course, I I should include there the Word of God. The more we absorb the Lord's presence and power through His Word, by His Spirit, and through natural avenues as well. This does build authority. Pain has a part to play in making the mercy one of the most compassionate and caring individuals in the kingdom of God. The mercy not only stands in a position of great spiritual authority to minister to wounded people, but because she has truly been there, right, done that, and has the t-shirt, she walks in moral authority that inspires trust in those God sends to her for ministry. So there's two authorities there spiritual authority in Jesus Christ and moral authority because she's walked a mile in your shoes and she can identify and relate to what you're going through. And you trust a person who can relate to you because they've experienced what you have. God puts the mercy mercy on a journey through suffering to identify with Him and to heal as He did. In the end, the mercy must learn who love is and how to love Him. This is so very different from giving God sacrifices He doesn't ask for, right? The love God wants to lavish on the mercy is some of of His best stuff. And when the mercy abides in unity with love, He stands true to the promised blessing, eternal life in God. Take hold, Spirit, to the promise in this psalm. And this is from the Amplified Translation of the Bible, Psalm 133, 1-3. How good and pleasant it is, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment poured on the head that ran down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron, the first high priest, that came down upon the collar and skirts of his garments, consecrating the whole body. It's like the dew of lofty Mount Hermon and the dew that comes on the hills of Zion, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. 
upon the high and the lowly. And that concludes today's lesson. Now we are going to pray a prayer. And as I've instructed you before, you may just want to listen to it. If you have the book, you may just want to read along and listen. Um, But if this is new to you, somehow you jumped into this podcast and here it is, and you're not sure exactly what all this is about, I encourage you to listen only. I'm going to pray a prayer to renounce our allegiance, our agreement, our cooperation with the enemy by believing that lie that I mentioned to you earlier. For the redemptive gift of mercy, it means I I must uh, earn God's and other people's love through self-sacrifice, which is a lie. We're going to renounce that lie now and everything associated with it, and then I will bless your spirit following. So garbage out, and then we put good stuff, the blessing, in where that garbage was. Renunciation prayer for the redemptive gift of mercy. Father God, in Jesus' name we come. So grateful for the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of our Savior that covers us completely. We praise you, Lord, for your grace and mercy in snatching us from eternal death and separation from you. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation 4, verse 11. Father, in Jesus' name we come before your throne of mercy and grace, confessing that we have failed you in many ways. We are ready to agree with you about our sin and to receive your forgiveness and purification so that we can live in right relationship with you. We are ready to stop the effects of false choices we've made so that we can now make true choices to receive true life from you. We recognize no sacrifice we make could ever pay the penalty for our sin before a holy God. With deep gratitude, we make our confession and renunciation before you. We confess that we have taken matters into our own hands, choosing to compensate ourselves for the wrongs done to us. We confess we have held bitterness, unforgiveness, and anger toward you and others for the losses we've had. We have failed to believe in your goodness and power to compensate us for the injustices we suffered. We have held resentment toward you and others. We have agreed with pride, refusing to admit our sin and denying the truth within us. We confess, Lord, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death, and we have followed that way. This is a sin against you. We recognize that you will never violate our will, and we have not submitted our will to you. We have worshipped understanding, and in so doing, oppression has come upon us. This, too, is a sin against you. We choose now to enter into your presence, your sanctuary, O God, receiving your justice and compensation in our lives. We renounce all demonic power that has been released in our lives and the lives of others as a result of our choosing to be God over our lives and gratifying the desires of our flesh over our spirit. I thank you, God, for making us. We thank you, God, for making us spirit, soul, and body and placing a portion of your light your spirit inside us. 
You have given us a fail-safe way of knowing the difference between true life in you and the false life offered by the world. We acknowledge that the source of all that is true life is you. Believing that we are our own Savior is a sin against you. We forgive ourselves and any others who may have contributed to this belief, and we ask you to forgive us for our errors. We renounce all demonic power that has been released into our lives by giving place to this belief. We command every devouring spirit that has attached to our lives to go now in Jesus' name. We pour the blood of Jesus over them, declaring it is boiling oil in their midst. We choose to trust in you, for you are our God and our times are in your hands. Great is your goodness, Lord, which you store up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. We praise you for your faithfulness to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. For the sake of your Son's most precious and powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Taking a a deep breath and maybe a few right there. Just drinking that in. Just giving yourself just a moment before we head into the territory of blessing. Okay. All right. So now the blessing prayer for the redemptive gift of mercy. Mercy come to attention before the Lord to receive his blessing for you today. Mercy, you are the crown jewel of all of God's creation. You represent the apex, the highest point on the mountain of God, to which all six redemptive gifts aspire and resound. You are the vessel for the sound of heaven, filling up heaven and earth with the sound that is in the heart of God. Listen to the word of God for you, dear mercy. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Psalm 31, 7 and 8. Mercy, you have suffered many injustices in your lifetime, but I bless you today with knowing in your spirit, even before you know in your soul, that your avenger is God Almighty himself, and he will move heaven and earth to bring you into his redeeming love and restoration. His power knows no bounds. His love is vast. You are the precious lamb in his strong arms, and he is intent on holding you tight, never letting you go until you are together forever. I bless your eternal mindset and focus, mercy. For that, you should never be ashamed, because that is how God made you, and that is how you should be. You set your mind on things above, not things below, and this pleases your Father very much. With your thoughts, prayers, and worship aimed toward heaven, powerful warfare is unleashed as the armies of God undo principalities and powers that have no grid for the goodness of God. When you worship your heavenly Father, confusion is thrown into the camp of the enemy. I bless you, mercy, to recognize, accept, and understand that your anointing from God will never look like any other redemptive gift. 
Your anointing is a deep heart anointing, which joins your heart to God's. In this you are truly one spirit, not two. Mercy, I bless you to stand firmly in the center of God's move now happening in the earth. I bless you to know that it is truly your time to shine and lead the body of Christ in forsaking dead traditions so that true life in God comes forth. I bless you to walk in spiritual dominion, partnering with God to erase the line between the secular and sacred in our culture. You are now and will be a huge part of erasing the line between the things people associate with God and where He truly is. God is not looking to redeem people out of the culture, but to redeem the entire culture itself. Mercy, I bless you to know that the years you spent sleepwalking through pain are over. God is going to redeem all that. Your life has meaning. Your heart has been tested and found pure and true. I bless you with the blessing of King David, a tremendous example of the redemptive gift of mercy, who wrote, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Psalm 16, 8 and 9. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Amen. And I don't know if you can hear it, but my sweet boy buddy is snoring in the background. Oh, and just it's so soothing for me when I'm sitting on the couch next to him and he just starts snoring. <laughs> it soothes me, soothes my soul. And I'm just so grateful to be uh, able to share, as I have today with you, all these beautiful things about the crown jewel of God's creation, the redemptive gift of mercy. We just have a couple more chapters uh, to uh to do in this book called Witness to the Truth, and so uh, did take off last week for spring break, so our tempo got interrupted, but uh, my aim is to every two or three days put another one out there, and I pray you'll continue to hang with me, maybe even go get that book, it's called Witness to the Truth, uh, available on Amazon. Until we meet again, take care now, and God bless your spirit. I'm Dorinda Trick.